Hey everyone, we have received exceptional support for the Diaries Plus. It means so much to us. It's been a tough year for us. We're down on sponsors, but you keep lifting us up and making this show possible. And because of that, we get to keep making more cool shows for you. So today we're releasing a new series on Diaries Plus called Good, Good, Bad. Trips, adventures, and fiascos that define our lives. On New Year's Eve 2023, Mason Gravelly slid a stand-up paddleboard into the tannin-stained waters of Lake Okeechobee and embarked on an adventure he's been dreaming of for years, an unsupported crossing of one of our country's biggest lakes. Between the weather, toxic algae, and alligators, he was told it was preposterous. But Mason's journey was a culmination of years of Florida adventures and a passion for conservation. Here's a little taste of the first good, good, bad episode, Alligator Lake. Wherever you are is an adventurous place to people that aren't from there. And so it's like, I'll be honest, right now at this point in my life, I would never leave within an hour or two of my home if I could. And I'd probably, that's probably going to change at some point. But right now, that's like my reality. And I did not see that coming. Like, I I would have laughed at you if you you said that's the way you're going to think in five years. And so... It, it, all of us have to go through it. Like, oh, adventure is elsewhere or life and fulfillment and what we're looking for is elsewhere. And I think part of maturing and just part of just living this life is one, going through that. And two, <laughs> realizing everything you need is right here. You know, how many times have people told us that, but it, it takes learning it yourself, you know? Subscribe to Plus Now for the full story and access to all new episodes. As always, Thank you for your support. Now, on to the show. Becca, what is that sound? That's the phone ringing. Um, is anyone going to answer it? Mm, probably not, unless we have a call scheduled. As the CEO of this company, is it unsettling or strange or weird that if you imagine a potential customer going to our website and like clicking around and being like hit the, hitting the contact button and be like, oh, there's their phone number. I'll just give them a call and tell them about this cool project. Is it weird to you that that potential, you know, partner, basically, if they called us, their chances of it would be like one in a hundred of actually getting one of us to answer the phone. Is that strange? A little. How about voicemail? How often do we check voicemail? By we, do you mean me? <laughs> I actually don't even know how to check it. Like, seriously, I don't. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't check it very often either. I mean, here's the thing. Every small business has its quirks. That's because people have their quirks, and a small business is a reflection of the people that work there. I think we do a lot of things really well. We're good at being focused and concentrated. We produce a lot of work with not a lot of people. And I like that because I like being efficient. I I love our company, but I also want to be outside or doing other things, spending time with our kids. And the majority of the calls that we get are people trying to get us to switch internet or phone providers, and they're super pushy. And personally, I don't like hanging up on people, even if they are pushy. We also get a lot of calls that think we're a beer distributor, and it takes us three minutes to politely explain we aren't. So you get 10 calls a day, that's 30 minutes a day, times that by five, and it's two and a half hours a week. 10 hours a month, 120 hours a year. I'd rather put that time to something more productive, whether that's work or being outside. So we stopped answering the phone. 
Fortunately, people still seem to find us. But do you, there was that one time, though, like when someone answered the phone and it was actually this awesome opportunity and the client ended up becoming a friend and you got to like go to Hawaii. <laughs> Remember that? That was good. Yeah, I do. I pick up the phone sometimes, hoping we'll get lucky again. But we haven't. Look, if you start a business, you get to try and do it your way. Especially if you're doing something that's new or different. Like your job, it didn't exist 15 years ago. And that's cool. Maybe you fail, maybe you succeed. Certainly you adjust and grow and refine and get better and work your ass off. It demands a lot and it's wonderful. Sometimes it's also the opposite of wonderful. But it's yours and that's really satisfying. Ultimately for who you and I are, for what we value in life, the outdoors, purpose, our kids, our community, we've built a really good small family business. It's not perfect. We don't answer the phone. But it's working. Do you ever hope that Tep or Wiley, um, that the kids would take over <laughs> take over one day? I mean, in some sense, yes, that would be awesome. But I also think the reality would be pretty unlikely. I can't even imagine what quote-unquote media might look like in another two decades. Our business might seem pretty antiquated. Is there another business that you wish you owned, like something else you kind of daydream about being like, what if I own this? It's funny because the other businesses that I can imagine owning are much more physical than duct tape than beer. Like we dreamed about buying the Rock Creek Lodge in the Sierra when it was for sale. And more recently, we've half joked with friends about running a backcountry ski lodge. I would be down. That would be fun. I'm sure it would be. Also hard. There, there's always hard parts. And that's what makes it wonderful. Today, we present All in the Family, the story of an incredible family business high in the mountains of British Columbia, where love of skiing, hard work, and entrepreneurship has been passed between generations. Sometimes, you just gotta make it up as you go along. Hey, just a quick note, there is a brief discussion about the truths and magic of the holidays, if you get my drift. Seriously, parents, Get my drift. Truth and magic holidays. So if you're listening with young ears, I might just skip this episode. That would be a terrible spoiler. Anyway, I'm Fitz Cahal. And I'm Becca Cahal. You're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. I think what I know now, I would have went, oh, I wonder if this is a good thing. This is Marion Schaefer. The moment she's remembering was all the way back in 1986. Revelstoke, B.C. was a mountainous outpost on the one, the highway that stretches across Canada. At that time, it wasn't the ski destination it is now. There were no grand ski resorts. Heli skiing had just begun. People from around the world that were into touring hadn't even really heard of Rogers Pass yet. The skis were straight and skinny. Powder skiing was still hard. And if you wanted to tour, Telemark was the way to go. That was the scene. Inspired by the huts of Europe, a new concept had arrived in Canada, the Backcountry Ski Lodge. For a week, 
Skiers would be transported via helicopter with all their gear to a small lodge with sleeping bunks, a kitchen, and a living room. At night, a wood fire would keep them warm. They'd get water from nearby lakes carried via buckets. And during the day, visitors would get to hike uphill to earn their turns. The creators of these places, they took a pioneer mentality to build these structures. Marion and her husband Al bought the Blanket Glacier Chalet in the fall of 1986. It had been built a few years earlier in 1982. Al and Marion, they saw the potential. They loved to kayak and ski, they had a lot of friends, and they were good at instigating. So they started a business together to share their favorite activities and get people into the backcountry. The chalet it was a short, quick heli ride from Revelstoke, and it was a perfect place for skiing. Tucked into the Monashi Mountains, storms crashed into the blanket, which often received 60 feet of snow per year. In the early days, let's say we had 14 guests, we had 14 shovels with an individual's name on each <laughs> shovel. So before we allowed the group to go skiing on us in the morning, they had to put in half an hour to 45 minutes of shoveling just to get the snow away from the building. That's Al, Marion's husband. We actually had to tie a rope to our ski tips so we could lift them up and out of the snow before we could take another step forward. So we didn't move very far, very fast in the early days. So today, backcountry ski lodges, they have year-long wait lists. It's become a bucket list if you're a passionate skier or snowboarder. But back then, the market for would-be customers, it was tiny. People discovered this via word of mouth or small ads placed in the back of ski magazines. We were the first one in the area to really be granted that tenure. So it was very new. It wasn't as though all of a sudden it was going to be filled to capacity. We were going to have to work our butts off to promote it and to bring people in on board. Both Al and Marianne had professional experiences teaching clinics, AVI classes, Nordic skiing, and telemark skiing. So they started the business there. That would be their bread and butter. And gradually, they developed those classes into camps that would become a week-long learning experience. They did long winter ski traverses, and they brought everyone up to the blanket, which was incredible. It had a rustic feel, a classic A-frame style, three stories tall, overlooking a small lake ringed by cliffs built with trees cut from just behind the site. Guests had to haul their own water, help make fires, shovel snow, a lot of snow, because the blanket got a lot, enough that if left unchecked, it could easily crush the building. Marion and Al kept their prices affordable and brought all their friends, and slowly, the word about Blanket Glacier Chalet began to spread. One of the reasons we succeeded is that we showed a, a real interest in people themselves into their uh, personal lives, and just what they were up to. And I think just that interest in them kept them coming back. We made a special effort to try to get to know people. It became a real big family. The Association of Canadian Mountain Guides, or ACMG, formed in 1963. It was one of the earliest programs to train and certify mountain guides. In 1972, the ACMG became the first program outside of Europe to join the International Federation of Mountain Guides Association, IFMGA, mouthful, I know. This organization sets the standards for professional guiding worldwide. 
By the time Al and Marion bought the Blanket Glacier Chalet in 1986, the protocols for guiding, they were still somewhat rudimentary. The only type of guide that existed was the general mountain guide, which meant if you wanted to become a ski guide, you had to become a climbing guide too. And Al wasn't interested in climbing, so he took matters into his own hands. A strong group of Nordic skiers formed an association which we were involved with to try to train and certify Nordic ski guides. They called themselves the Nordic Ski Guides Association and held formal trainings in avalanche safety, first aid, and backcountry ski guiding. There was no (laughs) other formal courses for avalanche training, so we took the lead there and tried to organize more formal avalanche training programs for the general public. We certainly took some professional training through the U.S. Forest Service and initially British Columbia Institute of Technology in Vancouver, who were the only people who had any snow science uh, training. So we're in the leading edge as far as formal training, and then we try to pass it along to the recreational skier. After a number of years, the ACMG thought, hey, maybe these guys, they've got a good idea. And so they incorporated them into their certified guiding program. The lodges and the helicopter programs, they needed classes to train up their guide teams. The ACMG standardized OWL's homegrown guiding program into its earliest ski courses. Today, the ACMG hosts a specific program for people who just want to become winter guides to lead skiers and snowboarders into the backcountry. Guides needed tools. They needed mental framework to think about safety in the mountains where avalanche danger was very real. These tools didn't exist, so Al and the team built them. There are things we take for granted these days. In their first year up at the chalet, Marion and Al had their first child, Marty. There was no time to lose. Marion and Al were hustling. They were running a business battling against snow, keeping clients happy. Marty was in the mix right from the start. We know there's a fair amount of snow to be moved, so we started moving snow. And we brought Marty along because we couldn't find a babysitter for him. He was probably three or four. Then after a couple hours, I looked over to my wife, Mary, and said, hey, have you seen Marty around? A couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Marty had fallen in the tree well beside the chalet. He spent two hours in this tree well trying to get out, and uh, temperatures are about maybe minus 20 Celsius. So Marty was getting quite cold, but he kept us cool. And But after a while, we figured our, our son is missing. Let's go looking for him. We found him in the tree. <laughs> and Marty remembers doing mounds of dishes, running a chalet, a lodge is not unlike a farm where you just have to pitch in. And if you're asked to do something, I don't know, you don't really think of, no, I'm not going to do it. Marty's sister, Heidi, was born six years later. From washing dishes and splitting firewood to guiding backcountry trips, the kids pulled their weight in the family business. When Al and Marion had to divide up guests by ability levels on the slopes, one of the kids would often take half the group. Here's Marty. I took the fast groups. So there'd be a handful of folks that were just fit and just wanted to pound vertical. And we were maybe just yo-yoing a certain area. And I was just so excited to pound out vert. Like, I was like 13 years old, breaking trail, and they just had full trust in me marching around the mountains. I remember being one time, I took a group to the top of Blanket Peak. You know, that's a broken glacier. That's like, you got to nail the line. 
I remember dropping down with so much confidence and <laughs> guided the line. And I just think back to that. It's like, man, I don't even care I, what kind of experience a 13-year-old has. I don't know if I'd be following them, but people really trusted me. I mean, that's where the trick in the guiding comes from, because pretty early on, I found that the fulfillment in this occupation isn't the skiing, the pow. It is bringing the best out of people that you can get this incredible fulfillment out of showing people the best time. And it's just like that feeling of showing someone around the sandbox or, you know, the backyard is a much higher fulfillment than I get in, you know, anything in life. If I were to choose anything in my life, it would certainly be guiding. It's not necessarily powder skiing, it's guiding. That's an interesting word, trick, but uh, the way we used to work, it was just a family operation. My wife, Marion, and myself, we'd have 14 skiers. Uh, the way I guided, I'd go to a certain area and just yo-yo it all day long. And as the area got skied out, we just moved over maybe a couple of hundred meters, there'd be another line. But being a two-person operation, my wife did the cooking, I did the guiding, I was also a caretaker. So having Marty around who was fit near the area, we'd leave him out uh, as the day progressed and, and let him ski with the folks while I headed back and, and played maintenance man back at the chalet for the rest of the day. I still remember some of our guests saying, wow, you asked Marty and Heidi to do something and they never talked back. And I just looked at them thinking, well, I didn't expect anything different. <laughs> So, you might be getting a feel for the Schaefer family. To call them atypical would be a colossal understatement. The parents, jumping in cold, buying a lodge, pioneering their own guiding programs in the Canadian backcountry. The kids, shredding on skis, working in the kitchen, running the show from an age of 13. Yeah, not your everyday family. And while that sounds idyllic, the reality is it was also a grind. There was a lot of compromise. The days did not begin at 9 and end at 5. Even though Al and Marion raised their kids a few hours east of the blanket in Canmore, the family could never really get away from work. They lived their business day in and day out, even if they weren't up at the blanket. We used to be on the phone all the time. Like, very rarely could you have a supper meal without someone calling. My evenings were spent just answering the phone. So... Our family time, I won't say suffered, but it was different from most families. But I think our family learned to live with that and just had to learn to live with people around us all the time. Until last year, the Schaefer family spent every single Christmas since 1986 up at the chalet. Christmas, we were still working. Our family was together, but we were still working. I remember being so excited with Santa showing up. But what it was, was just one of the guests dressed up in a Santa suit. These guests have always been a part of the family's life. And this is one thing my dad keeps coming back to, is that uh, we just didn't have a ton of those times where we were just on our own. But having guests around didn't take the charm out of Christmas. Quite the opposite. Christmas was very real. Heidi was in grade five she was still thinking there was a Santa Claus, for example, because we had the caribou in the area. We'd have the caribou 
tracks. And she thought those were the ones that would come and bring Santa and drop things down the chimney, da-da-da-da. And uh, it was pretty amazing. I remember when she was in that grade five, we're having to tell Marty and his friends, now keep quiet, don't say anything. Heidi will come to a realization. But I think it was such a perfect place. And we always had families involved uh, right up into oh, almost 2012, 2014, they would sign up for our Christmas camp. So we'd usually have two, no more than two, maximum three families, depending on the size of the family. That was very, very special. Never any gift trading as such, because it was always the gift within you that you shared with others. We would have um, stockings and we would have special evening programs, but definitely the emphasis on the giving of each other, if that makes sense. It was experiences like these, like Christmas at the chalet, that kept people coming back year after year because it wasn't just some other tourist experience, some other day in the mountains skiing pillow lines with people you didn't know. Underlying all the adventures on Blanket Glacier, all the meals, all the hard work, was a whole lot of care. I hate the word client. We need to come up with a different word than that. Like, it just, <laughs> client's the wrong word for us, you know? But um, friends, friend. yeah, we got to come up with a better word because they really are friends. Marketing is just knowing people, right? Our family has always just genuinely loved people and we love surrounding ourselves by good people. And for some reason, we've just created this formula of getting incredible people in uh, what we call our business, which is just our, well, it's just our family. <laughs> the years stacked up. Marty and Heidi went to school, graduated, and started jobs of their own. Marty started guiding, working for other outfits, doing his own thing. In 2012, he started his own business called Canadian Powder Guides, or Kapow, which trains guides according to the communicative style he developed at the blanket as a kid, treating people like friends, not clients. The program was a quick hit, and Marty found himself developing camps, trainings, and guided trips beyond his home turf at the blanket. 30 years had passed since Marion and Al had started the business. The blanket was hard physical work something that they couldn't keep doing forever. Their clientele was aging. The competitions with other lodges was intensifying. The blanket had a reputation for mellower terrain as appetites for gnar increased. Alan Marion had done it, made not just a business, but really they'd helped develop a small industry. And yet the future of the blanket was unclear. Find out what happened after the break. And support comes from Kuat Racks. They just released the Ibex, an overlanding truck bed rack that handles substantial loads both on and off the grid because being off the grid is dope. Constructed from lightweight yet durable aluminum, the black powder coat is made for all the nature you can throw at it. Available in six different frame sizes to accommodate most truck models, the Ibex is engineered for adventure with versatile full and half height configurations. For more details, visit kuat.com. Kuat because you will absolutely love this bedrock and all the dope places you go. Now, a lot of operators like myself and my wife who've reached retirement age, we're ready to move on. With the rise in popularity of backcountry ski lodges, big corporations have been on the hunt for coveted backwoods lodges like the Blanket. As the demographic who started them ages out, the mom and pop scene, it's beginning to shift. 
So the whole flavor of this remote backcountry family filling operation is starting to disappear because of the, the larger money that's starting to come in and buy up these operations when the owners get to the point where they don't want to be involved anymore or starting to, to feel retirement. The easiest would just be selling this lodge off to this corporation. But the Schaefer family wasn't ready to watch the blanket meet that fate. I guess what my parents have created is a lot of work for Heidi and I, but have created this incredible life. There's never pressure to either just come up to the lodge and be involved in it, or even pressure on taking it over. There's never any pressure to go hiking in the mountains or anything like that. And I think what that did is that just instilled both Heidi and I to develop our own passions for it. And I think that is honestly the coolest thing and the most important thing why Heidi and I found our way back into our true passion and being involved in the blanket is because we have found our own way there. So yes, Marty, now 33, is taking over the blanket chalet from his parents. Heidi is also involved. She is the head chef and manages all the kitchen staff. Was this always the intention to, to pass it on to the kids and have them take it over or was, did this come as a surprise? No. It was not the intention, and it did come a little bit as a surprise. It's like it evolved. There was never, ever any pressure on Marty to take it over. And as I say, the best way I could describe it, the way Marty's um, life went and the, uh, the way he went into guiding and so on, I would say it more or less evolved. What is it like as a parent to see your child take over something and really run with it and thrive with it? Well, very proud of both of them, yes, but also sometimes wondering before Marty, has he taken on too much? He's doing an amazing product and it's totally different than we did it, which it should. He's going after a younger demographic. Well, you yes. can say it's hard to watch how hard I've been working. You it is hard that. to watch how hard he's working. It, th yes, it definitely is. Marty's changed things up a bit. He targets a younger demographic, mixes up the lengths of the camp so they're more accessible, and markets on social media really well. He's expanded the number of staff significantly. Kapow and its group of guides handles the day-to-day -day guiding. Marty's pushed a bit further and opened up steeper runs on the blanket, extending the terrain. Still, the feel of the lodge is close to what it's always been, a place to escape, ski, disconnect from the day-to-day, -day, and laugh with friends. It's the human connection. It's, it's coming back to what I was saying earlier. Like, we understand people. We love people. And when you understand that, you can cater to what people are looking for. Marty seems to be sticking the transition. Kapow's camps are growing more popular. People are returning again and again. The social media photos are awesome and hilarious. Marty's good at it. Everything seems to look sexy and glamorous from a distance. But the reality is there's a boatload of work to do to make the whole thing run. Some of it's fun, some of it's very dirty. Even as Marty has taken measures to modernize the place, the Blanket Glacier Chalet is still miles and miles from any road. It's a difficult thing to keep everything running. Like anything in life, it's not how badly you want something, it's how badly you're willing to suffer for it. And that's where a lot of the fulfillment comes. I should have taken all the photos from yesterday, from cleaning the outhouse, to chopping all the wood for next season, to cleaning up the whole lodge for the summer. 
there's a lot of shitty stuff that goes on behind the scenes. It's not because I get to ski pal and get to hang out with people. It's like, I have friggin' worked for this. And my parents certainly have not handed me the blanket. I've worked really hard for all these renos and everything. So when it all works, it's like, man, I'm stoked. But it's not just because everyone's positive and the snow is really good. It's because I have worked my butt off to get there. <laughs> Al and Marion have watched him struggle and sometimes completely crash. Late, stressful nights, long days, no breaks from the phone or computer. Dad came over this morning and I was just like slamming my head against the, <laughs> the wall like, I can't get this to work. Nothing's working. Last night we floated the blanket and I basically fell asleep on the floor. I was so exhausted. So <laughs> A lot goes on behind the scenes every minute of every day. We're talking about budgeting, we're talking about numbers, and it's like, you know, helicopter costs are more than we thought, and like, we can't afford to do this reno this year, or just like, feel like really pressured with money. And that's where it's like, you know, my dad keeps saying that we talk about business all the time, and it's just, it's hard when, you know, we're trying to set aside a dinner with the family, and it's like, mom's prepared this beautiful meal, and we're just trying to talk about uh, a girl I'm trying to date, or something like that, and then it's typical, just positive family, chat and then it just turns into like stress about a group booking or budgeting or that sort of a thing. In a lot of ways it would just be easier to sell it but the benefit that we have here is not financial it's just creating this cool life. You know in a lot of ways like my parents they can't retire off the financial income from this. So the fact that I think Heidi and I are taking this over and supporting the family is a big piece. And a huge part of this too is backcountry lodges were not that popular until about five years ago. My dad laughs all the time, like right place, right time to start a guiding company in a backcountry lodge. Like now it's popular. Now we can start increasing the prices. One thing that my parents have always done is they've kept a fair, fair price. So fair in that you know, my dad's in his 70s and it's not like he doesn't, hasn't made a retirement out of it. The lodge is not super fancy. I think there's very few places in this world where you can go without internet. And, you know, to live up there, everyone needs to haul water. Everyone needs to put a little work in. And the best thing that I've got from my dad, and it's just the greatest thing, but it's like he's always laughed that the, in terms of amenities, the more you give people, the more they can complain about things. <laughs> so <laughs> my motivation is to always keep it unique and rustic. And man, like it is so interesting to watch people come up first time ever lighting a fire, you know, like to me, that's just the craziest concept that someone like has never lit a fire before or watching guests have to haul their water for the shower that's in the sauna and being able to see that appreciation for things uh, is just something that like I've always taken for granted that this is just how, how it works. You got to haul your water for a shower or there's no internet. I think moving forward beyond the incredible powder skiing, I think we've got a really special place in this world that is unique and important for mankind to fully connect by disconnecting. Thank you, Al, Marion, and Marty for sharing your story. Music today from Canyon Kids, Max Grossweight, Kai Engel, Nisei23, Bradley Carter, and Little Glass Men. The tracks are courtesy of Free Music Archive or the artists themselves. Jacob Bain and Nice Koda composed our theme song. 
You can find the links to the artists at our website, DearBegDiary.com. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars, Becca Call, and me, Fitzcall. You have been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.